All right, Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be today. Romans 12. Um, continuing in our foundation series, so now embarking on really what is the third kind of triad or, or the third portion of this triad of things that we talk about over and over and over again in our church, that our vision would be that we'd be people who are centered on the gospel, that that would be our foundation, that, that, it, that our foundation would be we're gospel people. We truly depend on Jesus for all things, and that as a result, we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We live in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then we live that out. So for the past six weeks, we spent three weeks talking about what it means to believe in the gospel, to recognize and see, not just assent to, but really repent, to turn from, to give our hearts to, in totality, the reality of the good news that Jesus Christ has lived and died and was buried and was rose again, that we might have reconciliation with God, that we might have life in and through him. We talked about believing that gospel and keeping that gospel before us. And then in the next three weeks, we talked about embracing the reality of what it means to now live in the gospel. That this is not something that just affected me in such a way that, that everything hasn't changed because everything has. Now I have new life in Jesus Christ. I'm truly connected to God through Christ and the spirit of God indwells us as believers. And also now we have fellowship with one another. That we would, we would pray earnestly for believers across the world. We would pray earnestly for these two men who long to serve and love our church in this capacity. That we would pray earnestly for one another. That there would be people who were in, across and all over this building leading students, leading children, leading preschoolers. And showing them the love of Jesus and investing in them and caring about them. Why? Not because we're great folks. I love you. I, I, I think you're you're great in many respects, right? But at the core, this is about more than doing something. It's who we are. We have life together in Jesus. So we live in the reality of the gospel. And we've learned as we looked even through Colossians 3, what it means to put on the new self, how to live that out amongst one another. Today, we're going to specifically be talking about living out the gospel. Over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to take Three just different segments of what that can look like in the life of the church for us. And some of that's directed outside the church. Some of that is very missional. Some of it's relative to sharing of our resources and giving. So this is a primer that in a couple weeks we'll talk about giving. So you can make plans and we can take notes on who came and who didn't come for the giving sermon. I'm kidding. This is a joke, man. Wake up. Come on. Wake up. Um, But look, today we're going to talk about what it means to serve within the church. To live out the gospel amongst one another. To truly display God's love. That we would demonstrate the gospel, the very goodness of God, who Jesus is, that we believe in the gospel, that we live in it, and so much so that these realities, the implication of this good news changes not just our understanding of who we are now and our identity, not just to God and to one another, but now we can't help but demonstrate the love that we've been given toward one another. We can't help it. 
We've got to do it. What does it look like to live out the gospel as the church? We're going to look at two passages today, uh, Romans chapter 12. Uh, and we're going to read 1 through 13, uh, and we're going to see three very distinct things. And then we're also going to look uh, into Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses, I think, 19 through 25 or so that are, that are really going to help us see kind of from an application standpoint, what, like, what do I do? How do, how do I do this? Okay, if this is the theological things I've been given, if this is, this is understanding I've been given about what I should do, practically, how do I do it? We're going to talk about those things today. So let's begin as we look into Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Romans 12, verse 1, says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned for as in one body, we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion, in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. Paul writes this letter to the church at Rome, and, and this is getting toward the end of the letter, and the crux of what he's saying now is he's really giving some practical instruction to this church about all these incredible, powerful, deep theological things that are presented within the context of this letter. So if, if you look back specifically to, to Romans chapter 5, you see the sin of Adam. You get a deep understanding of Jesus as the new Adam, the one who has come to re-inaugurate, to, to have new creation and to restore all that was broken by the curse of sin. Chapter 6, you get an understanding of what it means to live in that and how we don't just sin more so that grace can increase. Instead... We're to be people who recognize that we're dead to sin and alive in Christ. In, in Romans chapter 7, we get this law and grace tension, this wrestling, this understanding that often as believers, we do what we don't want to do, and we don't do that which it is we do want to do. And in Romans chapter 8, we get this paramount picture this deep understanding that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We get this powerful explanation of the future glory that is to be revealed within us. We get the understanding 
that nothing can separate us from the love of God. All this and so much more in Romans, and it really comes to, to, a, to a head, to a point for the church practically in this chapter. In, in Romans chapter 12, Paul does this incredible job of summarizing and stating and saying, this is what it looks like for believers to live together, to worship together, to be together, to care about one another. This is what's happening Three things that we're going to see as a result of this passage. Number one, in in verses one specifically through two, we're going to see that any of our desire, anything that we're called to, anything that we do, starts with God's pursuit of us. Starts with God's pursuit of us. Look at verses one through two. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So nobody wants English class on Sunday morning, right? Like there's not, obviously not enough coffee for us yet. We're not really here. We're not really pumped, right? And I don't get it. And I know some of you are school teachers and you're incredible. You're incredible. You know you're incredible. I don't understand how children, like my Millie doesn't learn at 804. It doesn't work. It's hard. Look at us. It's tough for us, right? It's rainy. It's hard. But hang with me. Here's, a, here's, here's some, some English lesson, right? What's the point of what Paul writes? He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's the goal. Paul is telling these believers to literally give all of yourself. To give all of yourself in your worship to the Lord. That's what, that's what the Christian life, the, all of these deep truths that, that have been experienced, this is what it's for. But he says very specifically, there's this clause, there's this statement, there's this thing in between. And you look and see all those commas, right? But you look in between those commas and you recognize the place from which this comes. What is it? By the mercies of God. Paul's urge, his challenge, his thing that he says, is, 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 this, is not, this is not just a motivational tactic. He says this is the power from which, this is the means by which you can do this. You can be a part of this. You can be a part of presenting your body if you recognize first God's mercy. You know what Paul's saying? Effectually, he's saying If you want to live out the gospel, if you want to go demonstrate the love of God to the world that's in you, you've got to believe it. You have to believe in the gospel. You have to recognize that everything, every faculty, every ability, everything that any of us have is a result of all that has been done in Christ Jesus. The firstborn of all creation. It's his life. It's his death. It's his resurrection that enables us to do this, to present our bodies as living sacrifices. And what does he mean by this? This is what Calvin would say. He says, by bodies, he means not only skin and bones, but the totality with which we are composed. So Paul uses this word, this, this word of body, this word of flesh to say, look, not just your heart, like, hey, you know, give your heart. I could see somebody saying that, in a sense, with regard to this, right? Give your heart to the Lord. That's your spiritual act of worship. Or, or, or give the work of your hands to the Lord. 
Or give the good news your feet bring. Give these things to the Lord. You know what Paul says? Give everything. Give all that you are. Offer that toward the Lord. He tells us this is what spiritual worship is. Not a part of me. Not some of me. Not the things I'm comfortable relinquishing. But all of us. The gospel that's the power of salvation empowers us to worship. But if we're going to be people who live out the gospel, particularly even with one another, and we're good folks, we're nice folks. Like, I, like, I, like a lot of you, I'm just beginning to know, and I like you. I think you're great. And a lot of you, I've known for a long time, and I love you. Like, I really love you. And it makes you uncomfortable when I say that to you, and you don't always say it back to me, so it feels weird, like we haven't really defined the relationship yet. Um, but I love you. Only insofar as I believed in the gospel. And I've trusted in the very mercies of God. And Jesus who empowers us to worship. Here's the other thing you see in these verses. When Paul writes, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Here's what you understand. It doesn't say transform. Transform your mind. Shape your mind. Fashion your mind. Change your mind. Build your mind. What does it say? It says be transformed. This is passive work. To be transformed by nature is passive. What's Paul saying? It's the spirit that works in us. It's the spirit of God that works in us that allows us to live out the gospel. And I want to be somebody who, who, who demonstrates the love of God to people around me. This isn't something I just like go read a bunch more scripture with effort to get better at. No. This is opening my heart, availing myself, my mind to be transformed by the things of God so that I can experience his goodness, his love, his mercy, dwell on, meditate on, think on, live in, recognize that this mercy is mine, that these promises that we sing are mine, and now I can't help but tell not just my neighbor, but my friends about God's goodness. The first thing that we need to understand about what it means to live out the gospel among one another, the church, just loving one another, these people that, that we worship with, and not just like, we well, I sit on the row with those folks, so I should like smile at them when we get coffee instead of like thinking about what I need to do later today. Right? I mean, there's, there's an element of that. There's some, some intentionality there. Absolutely. Um, but when I look out at you, I don't, see, I don't see spectators. I don't see people here who come to watch a thing. I see the church. That's what you ought to see, too. And in order to fully take part in that and encourage and love and care for one another... We've got to be people that recognize that this all starts with recognizing the gospel. Holding God's mercies in view. And recognizing that me living out the gospel 
is a work of the Spirit. It's what God does in us in transforming us. Here's the second thing. Look into that next set of verses and you'll see this. Paul describes gifts of grace and he makes very clear how we're to act toward one another. He says, for by the grace given me, in verse 3, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. So in many ways, this is a connection to, what else, to, to another thing he would write in Philippians 2, 3, right? We look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. That not by nature we would be these people, but by the Spirit, we would now be these people who prefers one another. Who honors one another. Who cares for one another in deep, powerful ways. And sees one another, quite frankly, with as much importance as oneself. Or perhaps even more. We would care for one another very, very deeply. Why? Because Paul recognizes, because he says, look, this is what it means to live out the gospel amongst you. You ought to recognize this is not a bunch of people showing up to this thing. This is a body. And all of these different members are a part of it. And all of these things, this prophecy, this serving, this teaching, this exhortation, this leadership, this mercy, all of these gifts, all of these things that manifest themselves are for the good of the body. It's for everyone. And so one of the ways that that he describes and helps them understand how to be a part of something, how to use their gifts, how to live out the gospel in the church, to use this stuff for the good is to recognize, don't think more highly of yourself than you want to. And we're all tempted to do this. All of us. That the thing that we're a part of, that the thing that we're doing, that who we are, that the pedigree that we come from, that the, that the, the, we're defined, we allow ourselves rather to be defined by all these temporal things in life. And that seeps into the church too. We're not above that. Like, it's probably not cool that Bill thought he made the coffee better than Jacob normally does this morning, right? He ought to feel conviction about that, right? I don't think that that's necessarily the case. That may sound silly, but look, we really can struggle with the thought that, man, I'm doing something important. And perhaps I'm even doing something more important than that person is doing. Um, I grew up in a world, and maybe you did too, where you thought um, the pastor was the most important person at the church. Anybody feel that way growing up? Good, we've tempered that. Nobody feels that way now. Um, look, Here's what I would say, um, and I mean this genuinely. Um, truly, I believe, and, and our elders believe, and, and quite frankly, you believe, that God's called me to be in this role, to be in this place, to truly pastor and oversee and shepherd and care for our church. But here's what you need to understand that the scriptures say. That Ephesians 4 would tell us that pastors are given in order to equip the saints so that there would be this deep, beautiful unity in the church that would reflect Christ. That everything that's said in, in 1 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 8 and Titus 1 and 1 Peter 5, all of the instructions surrounding pastors help us understand 
that pastors have a distinct role, that they have a distinct calling. But I'm just a part of the body, just like you are. Because Jesus is the head of this church. I'm in the body with you, and my role and my calling is distinct, and it's different than yours, but I want to be unequivocally clear when I say this. It is not more important. It is not more important than folks who are serving our church in various capacities. You need to hear that and know that. And also be empowered and encouraged by the fact that we all have giftings and we all share this together. And that ought to motivate us toward understanding that we don't have to think of ourselves as higher than we are. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. Every, every one of the riches of Christ is mine and yours. So let's live out the gospel in such a way that we share our gifts with one another. We love one another. We're not looking for identity. We're not looking for preference. We're not looking to be known. We're looking to serve obediently because Jesus has served us. And not only looked not only to his own interest, but humbled himself to the point of death that we might have life in him. Here's the third thing. Paul gives these marks. Uh, you'll see if, if you have an ESV like I do, it prices marks the true Christian. But one of the things that he's doing in this passage is he's showing that this is what it looks like for believers to exist with one another. These are the, these are the this is what you do. These are the things that you're called to do. These directives that he gives. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what's good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I don't wake up thinking about figuring out how can I outdo one another in love. I don't, I, don't, I don't wake up thinking that. I wake up knowing I'm, knowing I'm, I'm needy. <laughs> I do wake up that, knowing that. But I don't always wake up. The innate thought within me is not, man, how can I just, I want to just so, serve somebody so much today. And I know they're going to try to serve me, but I'm going to outserve them. And not in a way to brag, not in a way to boast, but in a way to love, in a way to care, in a way to demonstrate the gospel, to live out the gospel that it might be seen. This is our task. To think in this way. To make effort, to put energy, to put heart into the most practical things. So I think... In, in recent months, weeks, and maybe even this, the, this past year, one of the beautiful things about our faith that I'm coming to see is just the freedom in the practicalities of the things that we do. Someone is hungry. Let's go feed them. And someone like popped a tire. Man, I'm going to go help them change it. These things to us don't feel like holy things. They don't feel like spiritual things. And yet, they are. All of the practical things that we do to love and care for one another, the reason a ministry like the deacons would exist is so that people could practically feel the love, they could feel the care, they could experience 
all that God is in whatever context in which we find ourselves. So practically, there's a number of ways that we can do that. Um, I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 10, this set of verses. Hebrews 10, beginning in uh, verse 19, we're going to read through 25. All right, so the gospel comes first. The motivation comes first. In Romans 12, Paul writes, and he says, this is what the church does. Is we're, we're confronted by the gospel, the very mercies of God. And as a result, we're, we're urged, we're compelled. We should go live and give our whole self to one another. We should use our giftings, but we shouldn't think high, more highly of ourselves than, than, we, than we should because of our identity, because of our life in Christ. We're members of one body, and he's the head. And then we're given all this instruction to go love one another, to care for one another. Ah, I know that stuff. I know that stuff. I'll outdo one another in honor. Okay, that's, that's different than we normally talk about. But how do I really do that? What does it look like? We read this passage, and we're going to see the gospel, and we're going to see great freedom. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25 says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, that confidence we spoke of this morning in Hebrews 4, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. The writer of Hebrews in this moment is talking about, is talking to people, quite frankly, that are in a place where they are being persecuted. They are being threatened in such a way. And, and the goal of, of those threats, what the enemy is doing, is trying to keep them from meeting, keep them from being together. So the writer of Hebrews says, no, we've got to gather together. We've got to assemble as a body. This is the way that we're going to encourage one another. As, as, as we await Christ's return, this is what we're going to do. And he does this incredible thing. At the start of the passage, what do you see? It's the gospel. The new and living way through Jesus' body and blood. Through his very flesh, the veil. This is how we're able to have confidence to approach God. And then this incredible freedom, instruction that's given on how to love one another. But the freedom and, quite frankly, the imagination and the creativity that comes with it. He says, consider... How we can stir one another up to good works, to love. I've read Ephesians 2 so many times to understand that, 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 I'm, that I'm Christ's workmanship. That there are works that are, that, are, that are for me, that are predestined for me in him to do. What is it? What do I do? What, like, how do I live out the gospel here among you? All right, you're like, Michael, look, it's easy for you. You're the pastor. Like, you know that. All right, I kind of got to pass. All right? Mine's, mine's, mine's easy in some sense, right? But we go to the scriptures all the time and say, where do I serve? What do I do? How do I give? What does it look like? And the writer of Hebrews would say to these believers, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You got to think about it. And meditate on it. 
with real creativity and with real freedom. You look around. Like, so this whole time I've been walking around this morning, there's all this weird stuff up here. And some of you in the back can't see it, but I'll grab the laundry basket now and begin to pick this up. So I, I do this thing at my house, and I have since I lived alone, and, and especially now with the family, where I will walk, and I'm doing my thing, and I'm talking to me, and I'm walking, and I'm just doing this. And I'm like stepping on the stuff. I'm stepping over the stuff. I'm having a real-life conversation with another human while I do this. Look how silly this looks, right? And my wife has taught me, when you see this... Pick it up. <laughs> These things that exist here, maybe they're yours, maybe they're not. But we're actually, you know, Mia would say it in this way, I think. Hey, we're all members of one body here at the Abrams house. <laughs> and these are not just your things. These are everyone's things. I want to boldly tell you that, that this isn't our church. Those people that you see that stand on a platform and pastor you and we, and we do the stuff and you come. No, it's your church. And these giant things, they're going to be giant, hilarious things in this church that you're going to have to do and pick them up because they're yours. Every week at our church, we've got people that are leading preschoolers and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them and engaging them in worship. Every week we have children who come, some of whom, some of them belong to you. And you come and you drop them off and they're magically taken care of. Just like I magically think that I'm going to walk over this sock 80 times and it's just going to get picked up. Brittany, do not look at him like that. (laughs) I'm telling you, it's nuts. This is nuts. I want to say this like with deep love, deep passion, and deep care. Not just so that a job gets done, but so that you have the ability to love, that you have the ability to outdo someone with honor. You have the ability to care for others. You have the ability to really exist as a member of one body. So you have the ability to do this incredible thing where you can be this. Contributing the needs of saints, seeking to show hospitality, loving with brotherly affection. We need help. We need help at our church. We're growing in powerful, incredible ways, and we're seeing all kinds of folks come in these doors and have the opportunity to worship and gather. But we're a body. We're a body. When we see something that gets left behind, that's not planned. I just forgot about this guy. When we see something that's left behind, that's left undone, we need to step up and serve. We're not just filling a role or doing a job. Here's what you're doing. You're showing affection. You're demonstrating the love of God in that moment. So here's the application piece for today. And I mean this. If you're dropping your kids off constantly and you're never serving, I think you need to pray about taking on an opportunity. Genuinely. To love, to care, to meet a need. And we'll do this. We'll say, I'm not called to that. I'm not called to that. You know where we find out our calling? You know where we discern our gifts? 
in the context of serving in the church together. And this is not like organizationally to like, we'll figure it out, right? Like we'll get stuff done and we'll put people in places and we can make things work. That's not what this is about. This is about the opportunity for us to live out the gospel among one another and experience Christ all the more. So as our worship team comes uh, and, and we close our service today, I would genuinely ask you to take a moment and consider how you could be a part of stirring up others to love and to good works. How could I be a part of that? How could I do that? Go to Connection Point after the service and say, Val, what do, I, like, what do we need? What, are, what can I do? How can I serve? What can I do? Why? Not because it needs to get done. No. I, if you've, like, I've never been accused of being a task-oriented person. I can promise you this. No one has ever accused me of this. this tasks are not the motivation. The motivation is that you would get to experience gospel life with one another and that would come through you living out what Christ has done in you. How does it happen? Because you hold in view God's mercy. How does it happen? Because you recognize that you and I, we get to draw near to God with full confidence, not like a partial confidence, not like he's okay with me today as long as I haven't sinned a whole lot yet. But I have full confidence to come before the God of the heavens. Because of what Jesus has done. We're going to sing together and we're going to thank and we're going to recognize in the context of this song all that God has done for us. Would God, and I'm praying in this moment that God would stir our hearts to take us to the place where we can experience that together, we can live in it, but also we can live it out amongst each other. So if you will, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, everything that we have, every bit of life that we experience, all the benefits of Christ, God, we truly find experience in them because we've believed in calls us to trust in you and in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God, as we live in the gospel together, as we exist together, would you make us people that serve one another? God, would you make us people that get to live out your gospel with one another? Help us consider, help us think how we can do that, even in these moments as we worship, and draw us to a place of action where we reveal to our brothers and sisters with whom we view your mercy, God, that we long to serve you and to serve one another. In Jesus' name, amen.